In this episode of Info Product Mastery, I sit down with copywriting legend John McIntyre, and we discuss email marketing, copywriting, and his new business, Rageheart. This is Info Product Mastery, episode 29. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers make life-changing money by building and selling online courses. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And today, we have the man, the legend, John McIntyre on the show. If you're a longtime listener of Info Product Mastery, you know that I credit John's podcast, The McMethod Podcast, as the biggest resource I use to learn how to write copy and build Pymage Search into a multi-million dollar info product business. As a college grad student, I would binge that podcast, soak up as much information as I could, and then implement it into my own business. Genuinely, without John's work, I don't think I would be here today. So it's truly a privilege and an honor to have him on the show. John, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. After that intro, that's a hell of an intro. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, man. So like you've had like this crazy, awesome life. Like you've if I, if I recall correctly, you were living in Indonesia and Thailand. Now you're in Peru. How did copywriting like facilitate that? And, and just tell us about your life. Like, let's get to know you. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I left Australia when I was 2000, in 2011, I think it was. I moved to the Philippines. I got a job, an internship at a uh, beach resort on a little tropical island in the Philippines. And I was, you know, trying to get them ranked in Google, working on their website, just pretty basic stuff. I'd, done some work online before that. Never made real money or anything, but I had some skills. I used that to get myself this internship. You know, A year in, I st- I'm still not making money on my own because the idea was that I'd be there and then I'd figure out somehow how to make money. So that's side of business. And then I could leave the internship and go off and do whatever I was going to do. But after like nine months, I think I still hadn't figured it out. And then I, I was in a mastermind, I think what happened. One of the guys talked about copywriting and that led to Gary Halbert's um, handwriting exercise. And I mean, once I started to uh, learn about it, I remember thinking, it's so funny thinking about this now because my sister, who uh, is here with me in Peru, she's just getting into copywriting now. And it's so funny watching her like enthusiasm for it. But I remember thinking, yeah, 11 years ago, man, if I could learn how to do this, if I could learn how to sell with words, how to understand the psychology of selling, then I'll always be able to make money. I might not always be rich. You know, things do go up and down, bad things happen. But at the very least, I'll always have a way to make money because everyone everywhere in every single country on the planet, they always need money. They always need to make more sales. Everyone, no one wants less sales as far as I know. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I just threw myself in. I mean, I was doing handwriting stuff. I was uh, reading the books, uh, taking courses, and then eventually started making money, moved to Thailand after that. I think I was in Thailand for seven years, all, all up, but I'd come and go a bit. I'd go around Asia. I was in Europe, I was in America, South America. Back to Thailand. I was in Australia for a couple of years with COVID. I didn't have COVID in Australia, but I mean, I moved back there for a few different reasons and then came to Peru uh, in December last year. And now I'm here. So I've been all over the place. That is an awesome story to hear how copywriting has literally just taken you across the world, allowed you to live in these really incredible places, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that just shows how the economy is shifting with, within the internet age, especially like post 2000 post.com booms like you can live wherever you want and as long as you provide a service online man like you can live off that you can be in these exotic locations and just enjoy every last second of your life and it sounds like that's kind of this path you've been on and, and copywriting has facilitated all of that 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting watching, like I've seen other friends build, build very big businesses. Like they've taken, but they stayed in say Sydney, for example. I think for me, what's driven me throughout the last 10, 11 years, like I've wanted to make money so I can do the things I want to do, but I've definitely prioritized adventures and motorbikes and traveling and all those kinds of things a lot more than just grinding, which is just how I seem to have done it for whatever reason. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun and copywriting has been the, the thing behind it all. And when I look at other people, like, like I mentioned my sister, uh, she's an accountant, trained in accountant, has been in university and stuff like that. And it's interesting watching her trying to figure out the online thing. She's been trying to do like, in a, like get in a whole accounting thing going. And she's just the last week or two decided she's going to get, you know, explore copywriting. And I guess seeing the contrast, spending more time with her, it's been interesting watching, like seeing, because I can see this contrast between spending 10, me spending 10 or 11 years on copywriting and then people like her who, they don't get marketing. They just haven't spent enough time on it. They don't know the psychology, the mindset behind it. And it, it, it's a huge limiting factor when it comes to success in anything, because success in anything requires knowing how to persuade, knowing how to get people to do what you want them to do in a way that helps them, hopefully, ideally, as well. So for me, it's been, yeah, it's been incredible. And then his new business, uh, which we were talking about before, I don't know if you want to get into, but but this skill that I've spent 10, 11 years building, working for clients, as much as sometimes I've been written copy for clients that aren't, you know, things that maybe I don't believe in. I, mean, I can sell it. I know it's valuable. I know people are going to buy it, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to, oh, like I personally wouldn't buy it, for example, like stuff that I'm not that excited about. Despite that, the experience now to have these skills and then to be able to start a new business or any business and go, man, I can, like, I know how to do this. I'm not learning this from scratch. I know what, you know, how to find like a target client. I know how to write the words. Like I know how to set the whole business up. And uh, that's something that copywriting teaches people, marketing teaches people, but accounting, for example, does not teach you. There are, there are two skills that I've learned in my life that I think have changed the trajectory of my life beyond all else. And the first one is, is learning how to code and learning how to write software, like without a doubt changed my life. The other one was copywriting. And I used to think, you know, I was, when I was starting these online businesses back when I was in college, that copywriting was just this sort of like magic, like ephemeral thing that people were just born with this skill. Like they, they understood how sales and marketing worked. They understood how advertising worked and they, they could just like do it. And they would write this, these magical words on a web page and it would make sales. So when I started building these online, these online businesses, I didn't know what in the world I was doing. I would just open up this, this HTML file and like edit the headers and edit like the body of the page and like save it and be like, okay, well, I, I guess I've done all I can do. And then like no sales would, would come in and I'd be really annoyed and frustrated by it. So then I would, you know, hire these freelancing copywriters who some of them were really good, but others, they didn't truly understand it. I found out later in my own experience, like they, they were just trying to, to make a buck. They didn't want to understand the product. And I think it really hurt me developmentally in the long run because, again, I just thought copywriting was this ephemeral skill. I didn't realize that you could teach yourself how to do it. And when I found your podcast, the McMethod podcast, dude, it was like this, this breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, wait, like I'm like a semi-intelligent person. Like this, this person is explaining it in things that I could, in ways that I can understand. And like, if a programmer who doesn't really think in terms of empathy or emotion or and and anything else in those terms can like grasp it and then start writing copy like man that is just a huge huge win and you're talking about your sister that's an, another profession that you wouldn't necessarily think 
they would be naturals at writing copy. But that's almost irrelevant because you can learn how to write copy no matter what your profession is. I mean, copywriting says salesmanship in print. That's one of those, you know, cliche, whatever. It's true, but it's a bit, you know, maybe overdone. But it's copyright. I mean, we're just around people, you know, like kids know how to manipulate their parents. Like we grow up learning how to do this thing. Maybe some people aren't like natural writers, but usually with a lot of the things like this, it's like probably because they haven't written much before. And it's a thing of practice. But the basic, because it's not even the writing's part of it, but the more important, the deeper layer, the deeper part of it, what drives it is just understanding people. And uh, I think everyone on some level understands how to get what they want from other people. They may not, may not be conscious, but we all have some ability to read other people. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't even be alive. Like we have some idea. We know how to get a job. We know how to talk to our parents or our siblings or our partner. And we will say things and do things in such a way as to persuade this person to give us what we want. And so it's, that's all copywriting is the, you know, written version of that, I suppose. And there's a lot of, you know, people have developed all kinds of tools and techniques and templates and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think everyone can do it. Just like everyone can probably play a musical instrument if they just practice. I don't know. I've, I've been trying to learn how to play guitar since I was probably in sixth grade. And like, I can play somewhat, but I just, I have no sense of like internal beat or time. Like I'm awful, awful at it. In some ways, I think copywriting's far easier than, than writing a musical instrument. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know, man. I played guitar for, since I was 12 years old. I haven't probably gotten much better in a long time, but I got pretty good as a kid. Maybe it's a kid thing, but I don't know. I just tend to think maybe I'm just hopeful and optim- overly optimistic like that. I just think you put enough time into anything, get better. You might, you might not be world class. You know, you might not become like the world, you know, some crazy slash in Guns N' Roses or something like that. But, you know, you'll be better than you were yesterday, last week, a month ago, two years ago, you know. And so I think that's what really matters because people think about their career and copywriting. If they think that, well, they're a developer, they can't do this, they're not going to be a world class. Or maybe, maybe that's true because they're not going to devote enough time. They want to spend all their time coding. But if they put a little bit of time into copywriting, they're going to be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. You know, and that's going to, because if we're talking about copywriting, which relates to sales, they're going to be making more money. So if they're 20% better, they'll make 20% more money. So. Well, you are without a doubt a world class copywriter. And you know, with that said, like what made you want to, start the Ming Method podcast and teach others what you know? I think what happened, right, was I was in, when I was in the Philippines, I was working with this guy, Dan Andrews, who runs the website Tropical MBA. He was running an event at this resort in Thailand. And he, I was chatting about copywriting right after I'd gotten into it. And he asked me, do you want to do like a little presentation on email marketing? Because I'd just done an email marketing course. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And off the back of that, he asked me to write a 10 email autoresponder sequence for him, which he loved. And then because it got good results, he said, let's do a podcast. He had this popular podcast, still does. I did the podcast with him. I think I got one or maybe two clients out of that. So I realized that podcasting was a very good way for me personally anyway to promote myself as a copywriter and build my business. Now, you know, when I've said this before, like some people, I've realized over time, I guess, that podcasting worked for me because I naturally, like I like to speak. I'm good at speaking. I can sound like I know what I'm talking about even when I don't. It's just my sort of forte is, is I'm probably more comfortable and happier to do a podcast like this than to sit down and write something. It's so easy and effortless and people like it. So I started to notice that when I was doing podcasts, it was working well for me. And, you know, I was basically like, let's double down on this. Let's book as many podcasts as I can on other people's podcasts and let's start interviewing people. And I think that that podcast is really what put me on the map in terms of copywriting. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you got a ton out of it. 
now we're here today talking about it. Like there's people who, yeah, just put me on the map, made me a mini, or what I'd say is like a mini celebrity within the copywriting industry just because of that podcast. So podcasts are a fantastic tool. And then in this new business, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, well, it worked great last time. Let's just do it again. We'll just do it more. We'll execute more on it. So I know that copywriting, podcasting, this stuff works for me because of my who I am, my personality. And if someone's sort of similar, it probably would work just as well for them. Yeah, I love that. You were talking about Tropical MBA and Ian and Dan, and it's it's so crazy how these worlds like overlap. Like you got the Tropical MBA guys, and then you got the copywriting world, and you have your email service providers. And Rob Walling, who runs the Startups the Rest of Us podcast, like he's close with the Tropical NBA guys, and he created Drip, the super popular email service provider. So that's like this crazy, amazing world of all these tech entrepreneurs just overlapping. And I noticed that you used to run Drip for your email service provider, and now you're using something called Berserker. And I don't know much about this email service. Like, can you tell us about it and what made you switch over to Berserker from Drip? To, to back up a little bit, I don't know if you may have, may or may not have seen, but I've been running these promotions over the last years where I, I get a whole bunch of copywriters together. Everyone throws their products in to make it like a bundled product. So it's like, I've got a product from me, a product from you, a product from 10 other awesome dudes, uh, a couple of women now as well. Bundle it up, put a discount on it, and we all promote it. And it's a competition. And depending on whoever wins, they get a high percentage of the sales. So it creates a sort of a friendly, lots of friendly competition. And I did one last year. It was the biggest one I've done so far. And there was a guy, Daniel Throssell, who's a copywriter from Perth, another Australian guy, incredible copywriter. I mean, we had in this competition, I won't name names. He, he does. You can go to his website and check him out. But on his sales pages, he's, he's hilarious. I, I mean, I have world-class copywriters in there, like just people that, that most copywriters, like any copywriter who's been in the industry a little while, like for any amount of time are going to know these people. And this guy, Daniel, he's been around for far less time than pretty much every, you know, everyone else in the competition. And yet he wipes the floor with everyone uh, to the point where he made more sales than everyone else combined in the entire competition. I think that last year, Holy there's six, 16 people, right? So he made, <laughs> he sold more. It was only just more, right? So like, I think the, the total for the 15 other people, I was one of them, add all that up together. He sold a tiny bit more than that. One, but one guy, and the size of his list is probably smaller than most people in that competition as well. He just, he's incredible. And he's, I think he might be 26 or 27. He's a young dude. He has, you know, he's got a family, he's got a couple of kids, like he's busy. And he just has a knack for, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is. Like I've been, I've been really, he's a good guy. I've been, done a few podcasts with him, but he's so you know, when you meet someone or you, or you see someone's results and they're so good, they're like they're in a whole other category. Like they're not a little bit better. They're, they're so much better that it's just like, it's not even fair. It's just like, how does this, how is this even possible? It's like, it brings up that. So anyway, he has a daily email newsletter. He's on uh, persuasivepage.com, I think is his website. Fantastic welcome sequence. He does this whole parallel thing, which you can check out. But I've been seeing how well he does in these competitions because I've had an inside look at this and just seeing how successful, how much better he is at selling, at least in these competitions than everyone else I've seen. I'm like, man, if I'm going to listen to one copywriter at the moment, I'm going to watch this guy. So I've got all these courses and he's using Berserker Mail. So he switched over to Berserker Mail, I don't know, a year or two ago, run by Ben Settle and another dude, Troy. Most copywriters would know Ben Settle. He was sort of, he's one of the original email copywriting dudes. He's got like a daily email newsletter. 
Um, he's been around for ages. So Ben teamed up with the tech dude, I guess a developer. They paired up, built this app, Berserker Mail. And I think a big part of it is Berserker Mail is really made for people like Ben Settle, Daniel, people like me sending lots of emails. Because if I go into Drip and I want to send a daily email, it's going to take, I don't know how many clicks, but from a user experience perspective, it's horrible. Like I have to log in, go to the dashboard, then go to the campaign section, then like set up my email, which is a massive pain in the and then go through all these different tabs to eventually send it. Like sending, just scheduling one email to the list is such a pain in which I never even thought that big of a deal because they're all like that until um, I heard about this berserker mail thing. And the way they do it is you log in and the first page you see after you log in is the compose email page. So I don't have to navigate anywhere. I don't have to click through a bunch of tabs or pages. I literally land on the page where I start composing an email. And then I can schedule that email to my entire list or to a portion of it all from that same screen. There's no tabs. There's it's just all there with a couple of drop downs. It's so easy and simple with the idea being that for people who send a lot of emails, it's just to remove as much friction as possible from that process. So I love that aspect of it. And um, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I do for deliverability and making sure it's um, your emails are getting received in the inbox. And they're really, you know, Ben Settle and um, this Troy dude, they're very uh, big into emails. I'm like, okay, these are, you know, very aggressive email marketers. If this is what they're using, and Daniel as well, then I want to use the same thing. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me, and I I agree with you. The the user interfaces between like Drip and Active Campaign and ConvertKit and all of all those big players, like they they are more or less the same. Like they're just minor variations or a few additional features here and there. So to be able to have like a high volume email app dedicated to those types of marketers, that just sounds like a huge win. I mean, running PyMage Search, and we had an email list with a few hundred thousand people on it, but we were only sending like one or two broadcasts per week. And oh. we had a, a VA who was going in and doing all the scheduling for it. So I, I didn't have to touch it personally that often. But if you're doing dailies and like you just need to have a blank compose page and like ensure high deliverability, I mean, Berserker sounds like a huge win to me. Yeah, so it's early days. I've only been using it for, I mean, I've used it a little bit for the drop tag copy, the copywriting business, and now I'm using it as new business. So we'll see how it goes over the coming months, but I'm pretty, pretty excited to see what happens with it. One of my favorite techniques you shared on your email list was Ian Stanley's million dollar Google Docs program. Like, seriously, <laughs> this guy made over a million dollars by creating sales pages in Google Docs and then sending his potential customers to his Google Doc and like they would wow. click through the Google Doc. It was almost like this, like a story where they could like choose their own adventure and like each like link in a Google Doc led to another Google Doc and then to like the final checkout page. I was just like, this is incredible. Yeah. And I think it's really proof that you don't need to hire a fancy designer or purchase expensive templates or spend lots of money on stock images to create these, these sales pages. Like, no, actually like a Google Doc with like some sarcastic GIFs like embedded in it like they can go a long way. And I think that's a, a really cool example of a, a pattern interrupt. So I'm curious to get your take on it, like what you thought of it and also maybe what, what your, your other favorite pattern interrupts are. I mean, that was, yeah, that was really cool. It's, it's rare, I find, to see people innovating in the copywriting industry. Like it's, it's I mean, it's hard. You know, Daniel's one of the, the probably most, he's easily, more number. he's easily the most innovative copywriter. I mean, the Google Docs thing, that was pretty cool. That was pretty interesting. I liked it. I tried it with my list. Uh, just with that affiliate promotion, it worked pretty well. 
as far as a patent interrupt goes, I think you're right. It's like a bit like, what's this? This is weird or it doesn't feel like a spammy sales page. So I think it works on that level. It also highlights the whole classic idea in copywriting that they say lists offer copy. So it's like the first, in terms of what's going to you know, determine the results of a campaign or a business or whatever, the first thing to look at is your list. That's going to equate to 40% of the results of the campaign or the email or whatever, the list. Who's on it? Who are you actually contacting? The next thing is the offer. What offer are you making them? So it's kind of like, who are you talking to and what do you want to sell them? That's your list. That's your offer. And then the copy is 20% of the result, right? So that's you, you all the copy in the sales page, the emails, everything. And so I think that's when people, people can get really fixated on the design, which I really put into that copy bucket. They're looking at the conversion device, focusing on that. When and they're spending a lot of time and money on that, when a lot of the response, 80% of the response is going to come from the people they're talking to and the offer they're making. So like with Ian's Google Docs sales pages thing, it almost doesn't really matter. If he gets the list and the offer, if he's sending it to the right list and the offer's good, like it match fits that list really well, it doesn't almost doesn't really matter whether it's on a Google Doc or it's in a Microsoft Word thing or it's in a PDF or it's on a sales page. Do you see what I mean? It's like it's the copy is only part of the thing. I think people can get overly fixated on thinking, oh, I could just work on my copy, 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 when it's like maybe the problem is the market or the offer that you're making. Yeah, it makes that makes total sense to me. And you're right, it's it becomes way too easy to get fixated on, you know, developing a new product or, you know, doing a JV partnership with another marketer and like you pitch your product to the list and like it's it's just crickets. You get no sales. And you're just wondering, like, is it was it my copywriting? Was it the product? Was it the sales page? It could just be like, no, the offer just didn't make sense to your list. And that's just where it ends. But I don't know. I, I find some people, and myself included over the years, like you get too fixated thinking it's other things instead of the most simple solution, which is the product just didn't resonate with that list. Exactly. So, I mean, this is the trick of business. This is the challenge of business is trying to figure out what's the real, what's the root issue of the problem? Is the copy the problem? Maybe, maybe not, or maybe it's the product, maybe it's the list. But as far as patent interrupts go, to go back to your other question, I mean, Daniel, to go back to him, I'm plugging him a lot, but he's just so good at it in terms of so many things, right? So if you go to his website, persuasivepage.com, he's using anime. Instead of having a picture of himself on his website, he's got some designer from Upwork or Odesk, whatever it's called, to make a bunch of anime pictures. And then he's done that in his email sequence where He's turned his stories into, in his email, he's sort of, you know, the soap opera sequence, you could say, or the storytelling that he's doing in the sequence. He's now added anime pictures to it. So it's almost like a comic book alongside his email sequence, which I've never seen anyone else do that, right? So that's one thing. Another thing is he's got this thing he calls a parallel welcome sequence. So you sign up to his list and the welcome email itself is not like a standard welcome email. It's more like a horror movie where you, it's called the welcome to the dark room, not even welcome. I think it's like the dark room. And it's really a story about you or the reader being inside a dark room, strapped to a chair, like you're a prisoner, like you're being kidnapped or something. And then some dude walks in and lights come on. There's this whole story that goes along with it. It's amazing. And then at the bottom, if you want the next chapter in the story, the next email, you can press a fast forward button. Click that. That'll then send you email two. Email two has the same thing at the bottom. So if you wanted to, if you were really enjoying the emails, you could get in there and you go through all, I think, 15 emails of his welcome sequence and two hours, I don't know how it would take you, but in an hour or two, immediately after signing up. So he's giving people an opportunity. If they're super engaged, they will just go through the whole thing in one time. And then, of course, that person is going to be so ready to buy whatever he offers them. 
at that point. But on top of that, he then, when you click this link to fast forward, he just he doesn't just take it take you to a blank page. He actually has an extra story, almost like a, a parallel story, running on those pages. So if you keep clicking the fast forward buttons, you get these extra tips and extra stories that add more information and context. So it's a very uh, addictive and strange in the sense of I've, ne- I've never seen anyone else do it. I've heard of one person doing it, but they just ripped him off and plagiarized a whole bunch of it. But I mean, it's fantastic. Another thing he does is you take a sales page, usually the price is at the bottom. So you have a few thousand words, building up, doing the sales pitch, price anchoring, all that stuff. And then at the bottom, this is for a classic info product sales page, right? And then the price is at the bottom. He'll do a thing where he just puts the price at the top. Here's my product and uh, it's $1,500. So it's not for everyone. Blah, you know, It's more sophisticated than that, but he will just put it at the top. Very, very creative. Another one, this is a really good sales page to read is uh, his Upwork in one hour sales page where he's he sort of writes about how he's thinking about writing a sales page for this Upwork product, but it's probably not going to work. He doesn't really want to do it. And it sounds like it's not, it doesn't really feel like a sales page. It's like he's just talking and just having fun. And then halfway down the page, he does this really smooth flip into the sales pitch. It's an amazing sales page. But patent interrupts and like people doing different, unique things like that are different to all the standard copywriting stuff you find in all the usual copywriting books. He's, the only guy I can think of who I'd be paying attention to for this kind of stuff. Oh, that's incredible. I'm definitely going to check out his work more. I'm, I was aware of him because of your email newsletter and I played around with some of his stuff, but I didn't realize it was that in depth. So now you've got me sold and now I'm going to go buy whatever, <laughs> whatever he's offering too. Yeah. So to, to transition a bit, you've got this new business going on, Rageheart. What exactly is it? Rageheart, the headline at the moment, at the time of this uh, recording, is a powerful new way, or powerful new and an unpopular way to deal with And then there's a little asterisk next to it. And then below that, it's just not for the faint of heart. And so what it is, is, I mean, I'm still working this out. It's a new, relatively new business. And part of the challenge with this business is that it's, uh, it's, it's bringing, I guess, such a, a new thing to the market or such a little known, you know, mis- easily misunderstood thing to the market that part of the challenge is how to explain it. What I would say is it's like, a lot of people meditate, right? A lot of people everywhere. Meditation is like an all the rage. Yoga, people are doing therapy. Like there's a, you know, a lot of people are involved in some kind of self-work, personal growth, healing, call it whatever you want. And they're all trying to resolve different issues, fears, doubts, imposter syndrome, anger, addictions, physical health issues, all kinds of different things. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Where Rachel comes in is, is uh, two or two, almost three years ago now, I discovered or stumbled across this whole way of working on the self, like working on healing, personal growth, whatever, working on these kinds of issues, right? Depression, anxiety, negative thinking, imposter syndrome, everything, anything you could think of like mental health wise, even to start to think about autoimmune disorders, gut problems, like a lot of physical stuff too. I stumbled across this woman who was teaching this whole other way of working on these things. And when I say the whole other way is, is the traditional Western model. Most people in the West approach all of these things through the mind. It's all thinking. Right. So we go to therapy. We're talking about our problems, about what's bothering us. Right. Uh, if we're meditating, you can sometimes get into the body, but a lot of the time it's just about silencing the mind, focusing on the, the breaths. So until the mind quietens down, right. If it quietens down at all. Uh, gratitude, you could say is just changing our thoughts. We have negative thoughts. We have negative feelings. Let's just think about something else that makes us feel good. Let's, we're not going to deal with the problem. We're just going to move our attention to somewhere else. We're not resolving anything. And so the, the, Mental, even the fact that we're calling it mental health as though our health is entirely just a, like it's just a mental thing. 
uh, it just speaks to this the Western thing. It's, it, the West is a very intellectual culture, and a lot of people don't even realize it. And for what's been coming out through, I would say, like this developing or emerging science of the nervous system, it's actually been around for a couple of decades. It's just not mainstream yet. It's not well known. And a bunch of really smart people have figured out how the nervous system works, why, exactly why it holds onto things. For example, like why we go through things as a kid and these memories get lodged, you know, into ourselves. And then we have, you know, depression, anxiety, blah, 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 when we're older. What's so interesting about it is like, I've never found such an elegant explanation for why we have these things. And when you, you know, it's like the cool thing is that once it starts to become clear, okay, why this is happening, then the solution becomes a lot clearer as well. And this actually ties into copywriting and marketing, where it's like if you can explain someone's problem to them better than they can, you know, you understand it better than they they understand it, they'll immediately trust you to help them solve it. And so that's what happened with me. I met this woman. I, you know, heard her talking about how this whole thing works, about the nervous system, fight and flight and freeze, how humans have evolved to respond to threats, why that leads to all the different negative patterns that we get into, emotions, thoughts, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I was sold. It something clicked. I was like, this is, I, I guess I just felt it. Something sparked, right? I got into it, devoted myself to it. And man, I mean, like I was telling you before we hit record, I meditated for 10 years before I found this thing. And I, I'd say within a week or two, I felt like I'd made more progress with this than I had in 10 years of meditation. Right? Meditation had helped. Maybe I was a little bit calmer. To be honest, though, meditation probably also helped disconnected me from my emotions, which actually stopped them from releasing and resolving. So it was actually keeping me stuck in a number of different ways. You know, I just, I mean, I was so shocked when I first got into it. This is two and a half, three years ago now. I remember thinking that, oh man, like everyone's working on this. Everyone's trying to fix themselves, right? Or, or most people are. They're trying to be happier and healthier and more whole and more peaceful and, and less procrastination and all those things. Everyone is trying to do the same thing. They're just using different tools. And stumbling across this thing with this woman was like, oh my God, this is, this is like, it's the same thing everything else is doing. We're all trying to, we're all working on the same basic thing of human stuckness, whatever you want to call it. But this, this approach of using the nervous system and understanding how the nervous system regulates itself, how it goes in and out of stress and, and fight and flight and things like that. I was like, man, everyone else is like playing at like a grade two or grade three. They're, they're like in, you know, kindergarten or grade two or three. Oh, you get some stuff and it's working. But this, what, what this woman was sort of brought through and she didn't create it. it came from a, well, part of it came from a guy named Peter Levine. It felt like, man, everyone's playing at grade two, grade three, and I've just gone to university to how to resolve this. Shit. Right. So, and that was within, I remember writing, I looked that up. I wrote that in my journal, I think a few weeks into this thing. And then, so this, this was two and a half, three years ago now. And since then, I've just, I mean, for me, it's been like, this is, call it a purpose, I don't know, but I've just gotten so into it. It's completely changed my life, led to all kinds of shifts and changes in where I live, my relationships, boundaries, business, everything. And then along that whole time, I've been also working a lot with psychedelics, plant medicines and mushrooms, ayahuasca, Pachuma, San Pedro, a whole bunch of different things. And uh, what these plants seem to teach and, and give people is the same kinds of skills of how to, how to get out of the head and into the body, how to stop thinking and start feeling. And this is how we resolve a lot of these issues, being able to go into anger and fear and these fight and flight high stress states and release them. This is what these plants are doing with people. I believe this is why they're resolving PTSD and all these different things. And so the somatic stuff, this nervous system stuff that I got into was doing the same thing. And so when I started to put them together, I'm like, man, this is like this nervous system thing was already like next level to me. 
But then when I put it with plant medicine and psychedelics, I'm like, oh, this is this is like just accelerated the whole thing by like it just puts the whole thing on steroids. So where Ray, why Ray Chart comes in, this is the new business that we're talking about, is it was like, man, I need to teach this to people. Not many people know about it. I think because it's so outside the mainstream Western approach to mental health. Just most people don't know about it, or if they do, they're really skeptical of it. Like it, they just it just doesn't feel good. Or even talking about it can start to bring up people's stuff. So then they feel resistance and they, they just don't feel interested because their system's like, well, I don't want to do this because this is too threatening. It doesn't feel safe. It's too scary. So anyway, so my, my goal is to take, you know, this woman's great. She's lovely. Her name's Irene Lyon. You can check her out. But I wanted to do it in a different way. You know, a lot of these meditation apps and everything in this sort of field, it's, a lot of it is very soft, very fluffy, a bit woo, like it, very feminine, I suppose. Soft and gentle and, and lovely. And, and it shows in the sense of like, it's mainly women when I've taken some of these courses, it's mainly women in there. I wanted to take this material of the nervous system stuff and then give it to people who, who work with plant medicine and psychedelics and then brand it in such a way where instead of it looking light and fairy and easy and all that, more be talking about, man, this is for real. Like this is next level. This is not for the faint of heart because it's so good at stirring up what we're carrying inside of us, all the stuff we're avoiding that. It's going to be hard work. I mean, on the other side, it's going to be absolutely life-changing and beautiful and incredible. But to get there is going to be hard work. So people need to be prepared for that. So that's anyway. I can go on forever about this. Love it. I hope I'm not swearing too much. That's Rage Heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I absolutely love it. I mean, you were talking about Peter Levine's work, Waking the Tiger. I remember reading that a few years ago, and I was really intrigued by like, huh, like this is this is interesting. And like for me, like. I had a really, really rough childhood. My my mom was a bipolar schizophrenic and in and out of the psych ward my my whole life and a lot of a lot of family problems, some like domestic violence and just whole just a whole messy situation. And by the time like I was in I guess it was like 18, 19 years old, going going into college, like just I had completely shut down, like zero emotions whatsoever. All of it was turned off. I was hundred percent logic driven because that was the only way that I could find to function. Emotions were just flat out too painful, ignored them, just pretended they didn't exist. And that was like a pure defense mechanism. And it worked really well for a couple of years. The problem though is you get stuck in those modes and after a while you can't ever get yourself back out again. And for me, like the emotions were actually still there. They were just buried so far underneath. They they were just coming out in somatic terms. Like I could feel it in my body even if my brain wouldn't actually register it but because i didn't understand it like these emotions just were, were purely stuck and that you know basically turned me into into a high functioning alcoholic when i was in my early 20s and then to help with anxiety issues my primary care physician he prescribed me benzodiazepines which you know he kept writing me these prescriptions and then like one day i tried to come off of them and realized oh wow i am now dependent on these pills so then it took me like years to actually get off the pills get off the alcohol and I still had all these, all these internal emotions. I had no idea what the to do with. Luckily, I was able to have this hybrid person. Her name's Sherry. She's a like a performance coach, and she's a licensed therapist as well. And she's done work with all the plant medicine. And she said, "You know what? Like, you need to like try this. You need to like get your together." So I'll like actually share this online that I was a pretty much like wreck of a person in my in my early 20s to mid 20s just every night drinking but I, I was like this high functioning alcoholic where I could just drink like crazy wake up the next morning execute like 
go to the gym, get like work on my PhD research, do my job, do my side hustles. But at night, I would just get like drunk, like pass out on the couch, wake up at like 11 p.m., like stagger to my bed, like fall asleep, wake up at 5 a.m. and do it over again. And I, I mean, I did that for like years, like at least five years, like at a very high functioning alcohol level. Like it was, it was nuts. And you combine it with the pill, it was even, even worse. But I've done three rounds of MDMA and psilocybin. And you want to talk about something that opens your mind and your body up to degrees that you can't even begin to fathom, like is the only thing, in my opinion, that has made any real significant impact on my mental health over the years. I can't think of anything else that, that has even come close. So I, I understand if people are listening to this episode being like, what in the world does like MDMA and psilocybin and plant medicines have to do with with copywriting and and info products. And it's like actually a lot because if you're creating them, you need to be at a high performer state of mind. And if you have stuff that's slowing you down or making you unhappy, even if you're unconscious about it, that is an actual real issue. So I'm 100% on board with the things that you're saying. It, it makes all the sense in the world to me. And you know, if if people are listening to this and they're skeptical about it, but they're interested in it, like, you know, reach out to me, reach out to, to John, because like I, I think we can like start sharing this, start spreading the word, and use it to help other people. Yeah, I mean, I just sent out a, an email to my copywriting list, uh, you know, about Rayshard because I just pushed the uh, the daily email newsletter live this week, and I mean, I remember saying like, look, this this isn't specifically about copywriting, like going and taking mushrooms, tripping in the jungle or the forest, the mountains, and doing it with a therapist, whatever the context may be. No, it's not going to directly make you a better copywriter, a better marketer, or a better entrepreneur, or make a better info product, or whatever it is that you're trying to do. But if you think about what holds people back, it's fear, it's doubt, it's imposter syndrome, it's shame and guilt, it's feeling like you don't deserve success, you don't deserve to have the business that you want, the life that you want. You know, think about not having enough energy to push through resistance because there's going to be resistance. If, where do you get that energy from, right? All of these things relate to the nervous system. So if someone is procrastinating a lot, they're not getting work done, they're not following through on the goals that they said, they feel like they don't deserve to be happy or they don't deserve to be successful. And so they're self-sabotaging. And these are real things that you go read like Tony Robbins, you go read any self-help book, they're going to be talking about these things. But as far as like what actually works uh, to get at this, that the root of these things, because I think about thoughts now, like thoughts are, you know, a lot of people try and deal with thoughts. They're going to think about their thoughts and rewire their beliefs and things like that. And that can be useful. But in my experience, thoughts aren't really the problem. Thoughts are just reflections, or you could say, oh, they're, they're, they're the leaves that have grown out of the root, out of the earth. And the earth or the root, you could say, is the emotion, the stored energy, the stored stress of the past. So if someone starts doing this work, whether it's with rage heart and somatic stuff, nervous system stuff, or with uh, you know, really good therapists like um, Yohan with the, the MDMA and mushrooms or some, something like that, and they start learning to get into the feeling side of things, they're going to open these things up and you clear this away, all of a sudden, someone feels lighter, stronger. They believe in themselves so much more. It's not just the head thing. They feel it in their gut. And that translates. It may not make someone into a better copywriter necessarily because someone may realize that they don't actually care about copywriting. And that's part of the healing. If people realize, well, I'm not, I think as you get more healthy and more whole, it starts being, I'm not going to do something I don't like to do because that's, it's like I'm hurting myself if I do that. Sometimes you have to, but at a certain point, it's like, why would you spend your life doing something that you don't enjoy? It's like, a, it's just a, not a very nice thing to do to yourself. And that's something that happens, I think, as, as people do this work. Life becomes more and more like that. It's like, 
I'm just not willing to do the things I'm not enjoying. So some of them might get out of copywriting or out of business and go do something else that they believe in, but they can be happier. Whatever they end up doing, they're going to be stronger. They'll be more resilient. They have better boundaries. And so to me, it's like, I don't know, you know, I know why people aren't into this, but you know, it absolutely will indirectly help whatever they happen to be doing with their life. You know, all their relationships, family relationships, friends, everything improves. Some of these relationships land because some people aren't going to be uh, very healthy to be around. And that starts to become clear as we drop into our bodies and do this work. But I mean, life just gets better. That's been my experience when I've seen other people get into this. I mean, you're, you, it sounds like you take exactly the same thing. Your life is so much better now after doing this work than, you know, years ago, back when you were in your early twenties. And so and I've seen that with other people. When they get into this, everything changes and it changes for the better. It's not necessarily easy or fast. There is some crazy stuff that people have to deal with when they're in the middle of it, but man, life gets pretty amazing quicker than, uh, with all the other stuff. You know, I've read so many self-help books, man, meditation stuff, tons of stuff. Oh, it's all right. But this stuff, what we're talking about, psychedelics and getting into the body and learning to feel is that's where it's at for me. I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with what you're saying. And like, I agree with you. Like life got better. Life was easier to understand and maybe, maybe helped, you know, define my core purpose and my passions a, a little bit more because, you know, previously growing up in Western culture, it was all about like success at, at all costs, like do this, do that. And sometimes like you don't really take a second to reflect on like, is this what I, what I really wanted? Even if you think you do, even if like you're planning in your calendar, like once a year, I'm going to go off into like my own like solitary world. I'm going to rent a cabin in the mountains or, or get a bungalow on the beach and it's going to be just me and my notebook, no internet. I'm just going to reflect on my life and think about what's going well, what's not, what can I do to improve the good things, what can I do to offload the bad things. Like, And, and you do these plans and these are these reflections that I, I have done every year for over a decade. And what I found is that none of those reflections actually addressed any of the underlying concerns or problems I had. Like, they were so far buried that I could just not access them, period. And then when you go through these, these types of treatments, you do this type of work, you actually discover what your true purpose is. And I, I also think it's this antidote to what high performers call what is enough, the, the enough problem, right? Like, what is enough money? What is enough money for you to retire? What is enough money for you to go off and do your own things or take a year off from work and focus on, on yourself? When is it enough for you to turn down that promotion because it's just not worth the added stress in your life? You know, when is it enough to not deal with toxic relationships of a friend or a parent or a relative? These are all questions that people approach psychologically and mentally. But the problem is that, in my opinion, only like a small percentage of it is actually mental. The rest is somatic. It's inside your body. And if you're not used to actually feeling those things and addressing those things it's like you're trying to solve like a, a word problem like if we go back to elementary school it's like you're trying to solve a word problem on your sats but 90 percent of the words in the word problem were blocked out so you, you could give it your best guess but at the end of the day you're probably solving the wrong problem yeah i mean you reminded me of something from this nervous system stuff where i mean one of the first things they teach you is, one of the first things i rage out too is safety this idea of safety that what a lot of us are seeking is just to feel safe because when we feel safe, the nervous system can literally come out of a state of hypervigilance and everything relaxes, including the body, the mind, everything. And it's like, you know, if we've been through growing up in Western society, for most, probably 99% of people, it's not perfect. And it goes wrong. 
parents aren't perfect, there's bullies at school, bad teachers, things happen, right? Or dog dies, whatever. We get hurt, we have an injury, there's different things that happen. Bad experiences that create stress. And if this stress isn't discharged, if it stays in the body, stays in the mind, it stays in the nervous system, it's almost like the nervous system stays in this elevated sense of threat because it, it's like stuck in the past. It still thinks because it's still feeling this emotional, this energy or this stress from 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. It still thinks it's still in a dangerous environment. So it doesn't realize that it's now currently safe. Even if it is completely safe, there's not, you know, whatever the stressor or the threat or the abuse was that happened before, the nervous system still thinks that's going on, even if right now it's not going on. And so then, of course, what we do is we try and we make a lot of money and we, we get the beautiful partner and the nice house and all the things and whatever we think is going to make us feel safe and whole and peaceful and comfortable. I think a lot of it really is safety. I think I, I, you know, I did that. Where it's like I'm just searching for something. I don't even know what I'm searching for, but I'm searching with money and with girls and with, with all kinds of things. And then, but after doing this stuff, this you know nervous system stuff, and then bringing the plants as well, the psychedelics, it's like. Oh, it's like I've found what I was searching for all these years, my whole life. I've found it. And that doesn't mean I'm going to go live in a cave or, you know, crawl into a hole and die. Now it's like, okay, let's, let's see what it's like to live life from this perspective. Instead of moving through life, feeling a constant sense of threat and danger, even on a subconscious level, which then creates all kinds of issues. What's life going to be like now that I feel safe? I feel relaxed. I feel peaceful. I, I'm not, I'm not trying to find to complete myself with things outside of me. I'm already complete. Now what happens? And now it's me. It's like, it's, it's so much more exciting. It's like, I still live. I'll still make money. I'll still go and do things and have adventures and all of that. But now it's, you know, I'm not dancing to get anywhere. I'm just dancing for the love of it. It's just so exciting to me, man. I think that, you know, I really believe, I think that's what a lot of people are looking for is that they want that feeling and they're just looking for a way to, to do it. Agreed. It's all about safety. I think that's, that's a really good place for us to wrap up the episode for today. If, John, if people want to chat or connect, what's the best place to reach you? Well, it depends what they want to reach me, reach me about. If they want, <laughs> want to, they want to talk copywriting, go to uh, dropdeadcopy.com. It's like Drop Dead Gorgeous, but copy. Dropdeadcopy.com and shoot me an email there. And if you want to learn more about this uh, nervous system somatic thing, the safety and all that, psychedelics. I don't really talk about psychedelics, but, um, but more about the nervous system and somatics and how to you know, regulate the nervous system, about the fight, how the fight and flight response works, all that stuff that we're talking about. Finding that sense of safety, bringing more joy and whole, you know, wholeness into your life. That's at rageheart.co. Couldn't get the .com, not yet. Still working on it. But uh, rageheart, like Braveheart, the movie with Mel Gibson, but rageheart.co. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, John, so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on it. And I have to personally thank you for all that you've taught over the years through your podcast. If no one has ever told you you have made a difference in their lives. Let me like be the one that tells you, John, without a doubt, you have helped me tremendously. Thanks, so thank Adrian. You. Yeah, thank you. It's been an honor to come and chat about all this stuff. I love this stuff, man. I mean, copywriting too. And <laughs> Wonderful. Especially this rage hard thing. It's my thing now. So I love it. I can't wait to keep talking to you about it. If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and whatever podcatcher app you're using, whether it's Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or Spotify. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next time.